0: We are celebrating the centennial of the one and the only Charlie Parker. That's right. Bird turns 100 this Saturday. August 29, 1920 is when he was born. And August 29, 2020, he will have been 100 years old. So... You know, there's tons of different ways um, to show appreciation for Charlie Parker. You know, I am an alto saxophone player, so and very much a Bird disciple. So this is something I felt very compelled to do. And so what we're doing on this episode is 100 minutes for Bird, and we are going to give you 100 minutes of music of the great. Charlie Parker King of Bebop he is the the one that Dizzy Gillespie said yeah that's how we got to play it so um, some of them are more popular tunes others are (laughs) more kind of deep tracks if you will so regardless we do hope you uh, celebrate with us the centennial of the great Charlie Yardbird Parker uh, remember, you can find the Dr. Jazz Podcast wherever you find your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher. And check out our newly revamped website at Dr. Jazz Podcast, drjazz com. And if you'd like to follow us on Twitter so to know when each new episode of the podcast drops, you can follow us at m-d-h-j-z. So, enough of the public service announcements. Let's get to some fantastic bebop celebrating 100 years of the great Charlie Parker with 100 minutes of Bird.
1: Beggar too. If yeah, she calls me her lover, well, and a beggar too. Ain't you sorry, little girl, that my new little girl ain't you?
2: Single pop the the pop the the Pump, the pop pop. the pop the Pump, the Sicko
3: Yeah, here. here's a suitcase and that's a kill, you can beat on that one. What number don't reach Well, here's Jack McBouty and his tenor. Yes, indeed. Well, say, how about blowing something, man? Got the next call. All right, that's a great. Thing. Take it, you got it. double order double order Ritivutis with a little hot sauce on it. That'll just about fix it. Oh, here's it. Well, look at Charlie Yard, boy, the Rooney. Yes, now, how's it going, Joe? Oh, everything is mellow, man. Look at this guy. Get his horn with the name.
4: Blow yeah, blow I got some? my horn with me, man. I want to blow some. Yeah. I'm having
3: a little reed trouble. Haven't got a reed? Yeah. Mike Fauci's got a read, he can trim it down a little, that's great, yeah, cool. that's, that's great. solid then, well, let's, let's get together and the we need flat, take the next you got, it. you got it, all right. A-flat. vaux rooney with his trumpet there. Oh, <laughs> well, you know. oh everything is hey, solid. Go, what well, you got to cut out? Gotta go jubilee. Jubilee, you got to make another. Day. That's rude. Well, you got to make a gig. Take the next chord before you cut out. Take the next chord. That's killer. Rip on the next <laughs> course and we'll take him on out there because he he gotta go and make another gig there. Let's got I gotta get up early right in the morning
4: myself, so let's rip on the next course.
0: So we went all the way back. We started with one of probably the first uh, recordings that Charlie Parker made on record. And that was a tune called Hootie Blues. And that was with the great Kansas City band leader Jay McShan and his orchestra. And that comes from the GRP and Decca remastered uh, recordings. Of Jay McShann and his orchestra, Blues from Kansas City. Um, yeah, and it, it doesn't sound very bebop, but that's what we're kind of doing here. We're, we were going all the way back, right? So you got to hear Charlie Parker's first recording, Hootie Blues. And then we heard two tracks off of the Savoy album, Savoy Jazz Record Label album, The Genius. Of Charlie Parker, and we got to hear um poppity pop 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 go the motorcycle as well as Slim's Jam. Now, what we need to know here is that this was very uh typical, in that the kind of what they called bar walkers, you know, did a lot of that just 12 bar blues, and they did. A lot of what they call rhythm changes, you know, um, the chord changes to the song I Got Rhythm in different uh, variations, etc. So, Poppity Pop was a variation off of I Got Rhythm Changes. And the thing about it is, is that, uh, of course, Bird is on the alto sax, but then you also have uh, Tiny Bam Brown on the bass. Let's see. Zooty Singleton was on drums. Uh, Slim Gaylord, who is a fantastic guitarist, pianist, and vocalist within his his own niche. You know, he was very much known for making kind of novelty songs and things like that. Um, Yeah. Dodo Marmorosa was on the piano. Uh, Dizzy Gillespie was on the trumpet. And... uh, jack mcveigh was on the tenor saxophone so we heard a, a cute little take on rhythm changes um, called poppity pop and then like i said after that we heard slim's jam and slim's jam you know he, slim gaylord pretty much that's who slim is uh he pretty much introduced everybody you know dodo mamoroso was on the piano Zudi singleton was on the drums uh, Jack McVeigh was on the tenor sax, Dizzy was on the trumpet, having to cut out early for the gig, and of course, Charlie Parker was on the alto saxophone, talking about reed problems, and I mean, these are all real conversations, you know, I, I, I know that there's probably some non-musicians uh, listening to, you know, the podcast here and going, oh, that was cute that they did this little skit, well... <laughs> I hate to tell you that a lot of times it's not a skit. You know, uh, those conversations are real. It's like, you know, no, man, I got to cut out. I got another gig to go to. <laughs> man, I'm having to read trouble. That's, that's the reason I'm not sounding like I usually do. <laughs> and then uh, you got to hear, like, Charlie Parker started a solo and everybody in the band go, oh! <laughs> which really happens from time to time on the bandstand. So uh, I wanted to include that for that reason. So, and then we ended with The Great Cherokee. And, you know, here's the thing. It comes from the album Charlie Parker Studio Chronicle. Uh, five CDs on the JSP label. Uh, remastered 125 tracks from 1940 to 1948. Um, it's it's a fantastic little set. Um, and basically, it, it, it's a very stripped-down, bare-bones version of Cherokee in that it's just bird on the saxophone and a guitarist so but i wanted to take this moment to kind of give you like a little backstory so when charlie parker was on the road with jay McShann in kansas city he you know would sit there and you know he was already known for taking chances you know on the um, on the saxophone and the reason this is let me go back one step further charlie parker used to practice like sixteen hours a day on the saxophone because when he went, he he begged his mother for a saxophone and then she finally got him one and he learned, I want to say it was Honeysuckle Rose uh, in you know, like one key. And he went to these jam sessions and these jam sessions were very, very cutthroat at the time. And I mean, we're talking lines. Think about it this way. Jam cutting sessions, you know, back in the day were like American Idol You know qualifying you know sort of things like you had all the william hungs out there as well as the kelly clarksons etc right so uh, the point is is that here's this kid and he's like teenage early teenager preteen whatever and you know in the band or on the band stand are like professional musicians you know looking for talent basically and one of the musicians was Papa Joe Jones, the drummer for the Count Basie Orchestra. And here comes, you know, uh, a slew of saxophone players to play, you know, I want to say that they called some other tune. And all he knew how to do is play Honeysuckle Rose in like the one key that he knew it in, which was like F. Well, the tune was in an, that they called was in another key and he didn't know what to do so he just kept playing and he just kept fumbling and he kept playing and eventually joe jones took the symbol off the stand and like a like the gong show he threw it like uh captain america's you know sh- shield and it hit his feet and it was a highly embarrassing moment so rather than say well you know screw that i'm never going to play saxophone again He took that challenge and practiced 16 hours a day uh, with the drive to never, ever be embarrassed like that ever again. And so he learned things in all keys, and he learned licks, and he came up with his own uh, way of kind of improvising. And we got to hear that on Hootie Blues. Okay, so needless to say, he, he got better. And he got a job, and he went on the road. Well, when they were on the road, they, you know, all traveled in, in cars, you know, because the the poorer bands did not have these large buses like Basie and Ellington, etc., you know what I mean? So they all took individual cars from gig to gig to gig from night to night. And one time, they hit a bird that was like a turkey sort of thing. Anyway, it was an, actually, it was a yard bird, and... Charlie Parker says, wait, 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 stop, 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 go back, pull off, pull off to the side of the road. So they pull off and, you know, they're on the way to try to get to the next gig, right, and <laughs> and to stay with the families and friends, etc., you know what I mean, in order to do that. Well, Charlie Parker goes back and he grabs this dead bird, this yard bird, and he puts it in the car, you know, like in the trunk. They go on to their, their destination, which was this, you know, lady's house that was like a friend of one of the, or family member of one of the members of the band. And he, he, he de-feathers the bird, and he says, we are going to feast tonight. And so, and it was all on the yard bird that they had hit in the middle of the road. So that is why he started out with the nickname Charlie Yardbird Parker. Now, by that point in time, he um, also there was a car wreck in which he fractured many of his ribs. When he fractured many of his ribs, uh, they put him on, I believe it was methadone, and to numb the pain. And he was always plagued with this pain. And with that being said, when the methadone ran out, he was already hooked. So the way that he got that numbing, you know, feeling was he got hooked on heroin. And that's not anything I'm going to sugarcoat because that is uh, a legacy that is um, known with Charlie Parker. And we'll talk about that in depth a little bit later. But I'm not going to skirt away from that issue. But in the meantime, he went to New York and he you know, quit the band, and he became a dishwasher at a club where um, Art Tatum, the great Art Tatum, was playing piano. And if you don't know about Art Tatum, Art Tatum was a blind pianist who basically learned how to play piano by putting his hands uh, as a child on a player piano. But what he didn't realize was that the player piano rolls were for dueling pianos. So instead of one set of 88 keys on a regular piano and just one pianist, he was actually learning how to do things that two piano players were doing as they were dueling back and forth, but as one person. So we started learning this way as a kid, and it was this incredible... uh, musical velocity in art tatum's playing and charlie parker was enamored with art tatum's playing and he wanted to translate that kind of playing into the saxophone so he took a job as a dishwasher just to hear art tatum play every single night all of these standards in which he had been already working on and listening to etc and it was at the moment that he recorded Cherokee. Getting all the way back around. It wasn't a tangent. I promise. When he recorded that version of Cherokee. He felt. And he said that he felt like he had just gotten wings. And he could go anywhere that he wanted to. That it, it didn't have to be certain notes. It could be up and down. It could be left and right. It could be phrases. It could be all chromatic notes. As long as they were looking for the pretty notes. In between all of those chromatic notes. And he felt like he was finally liberated. Like he was finally free. So. You got to hear that recording of Cherokee, which was the, truly the turning point in which Charlie Parker said, like, this is how we're going to phrase bebop. We're going to phrase it with that same kind of, like, Kansas City swing, that Kansas City blues feeling, but we can use all the notes if we need to, as long as we're making it harmonically fit, and that's when Dizzy Gillespie said, like, that, that, that's it. Like, we had the know-how with the chordal structures and the flatted fifths and the tritone subs, etc. But that's it. That's how you phrase it. It's just like what Charlie Parker's doing. So, there we go. There's your your backstory on that. Now, let's get back to another set of great grooving bebop music because now we're going to hear some of the collaborations that Bird had with who we just mentioned, the great John Burks Gillespie, better known as Dizzy Gillespie. Don't go anywhere. You are listening to 100 Minutes of Bird from the Dr. Jazz Podcast.
4: (laughs) ¶¶
5: Here they are, the boys, Dizzy Gillespie, his quintet doing Bebop. starting things off, and we're really going to jump long this evening because you waited a long time. We're not going to waste too much time and give you the next tune.
2: And now, Gates, here's your chance to look before you leap. Hot from old New York and Colonel Blaisdell's silly at Billy Berg's standing room comes a nation's sensational new jazz trumpet star and his cohorts, Dizzy Gillespie.
1: put down and then record it. The title of this is Sure Enough.
2: Sure Enough. Thank you, Dizzy, Dozy, and Dozy.
0: So that was the great Dizzy Gillespie with Charlie Yardbird Parker and that famous alto saxophone break from A Night in Tunisia from the Blue Note performance series, Charlie Parker and Dizzy Gillespie, Diz and Bird at Carnegie Hall. That's right, Dizzy Gillespie's famous composition with Frank Paparelli, A Night in Tunisia, also known as the anthem for bebop. And I'll tell you as a saxophone player I have studied that break, I have practiced that break I have memorized parts of that break from time to time uh, and it's it just it flies, it soars it's fantastic, it's one of the greatest moments in recorded jazz and it's Charlie Parker's famous saxophone break. So there you go. Before that, we heard Shaw Enough, which is, unfortunately, I don't think one of the tunes that gets enough attention and talked about between Bird and Diz. But there's, um, there's a great version from Charlie Parker and Dizzy Gillespie, Complete Live at Birdland. And of course, that brings up the point that there was a, a jazz club, and it's still around today, uh, not in the same location. But uh, Birdland was a jazz club that was erected, started, you know, with uh, the idea to play what they called at the time modern jazz, which was bebop. And there are still um, performers that perform, well, you know, generally speaking, at Birdland. Birdland is one of the... uh, the high points for a jazz club in New York City. You, of course, have the Village Vanguard, who is which is the mecca. You know, it's been around since, like, 1935. Um, but there's also the Blue Note and uh, Birdland. You know, these are three of the big, big jazz, legendary jazz clubs. And, um, yeah, I mean, Birdland. I mean, there's, you know, and now we have, luckily... Uh, that was erected a few years ago, in addition to Jazz at Lincoln Center, uh, Dizzy's Club Coca-Cola, because Dizzy Gillespie loved to drink Coca-Cola. And uh, so now they have a partnership with the Coca-Cola Corporation at Lincoln Center, and it's a separate club called Dizzy's Club Coca-Cola. Super duper cool. Um, But anyway, before that, we heard the track Bebop. And that was from the Town Hall concert in New York City, June 22nd, 1945. That featured, of course, Dizzy Gillespie on the trumpet, Don Bias on the tennis saxophone, Al Hague at the piano, Curly Russell on the bass, Max Roach on the drums, and the MC was Symphony Sid from jumping Sym- with Symphony Sid, that's Symphony Sid Torn. And, of course, the great Charlie Parker. On the alto saxophone, and it brings up the point that you know nobody really knew at first what to call this music, and eventually, it got its title, uh, or its subgenre title, from jazz bebop, um, because it was on a monopaneic, according to Leonard Feather. Uh, there's this great video called "Celebrating Bird," um, which was like a documentary on Charlie Parker based off of the book by Gary Giddens, who is one of my favorite jazz authors, uh, called Celebrating Bird. And Leonard Feather, the great um, writer for Downbeat, etc., he was talking about how it was on a monoponaic in the drum style that you would hear from, like, Kenny Clark, you know, or Max Roach, or any of these great bebop drummers, and the fact that it was like, bebop, bebop, up, klukamop, up, bebop, bebop, bebop. And so you would also hear those same kind of things in the phrases. So they called it bebop. And that's honestly how it got its name. This is not uh, any kind of joke I'm trying to pull on you. It was a much simpler time. So there you go. Of course, you had some band leaders that did not like this, you know, because they were using advanced harmonies and. Uh, like Flatting the Fifth and things like that. And you had, uh, what is it, Cab Calloway that called it Chinese music because it didn't make sense to him. And you had um, what they called trad jazz or Dixieland jazz at the time. Stalwarts like Eddie Condon uh, from Chicago who sit there and they would make, you know, smart aleck comments. They're like, they they can flat their fifths, we'll drink ours, you know. (laughs) So... But the truth of the matter is is that it lasted and it became uh, what is known as the harmonic vocabulary that all jazz improvisers must kinda go through nowadays. It's just it's part of how to speak musically with eloquence in your solos. You have to study Bud Powell and Thelonious Monk and Max Roach and Kenny Clark and Dizzy Gillespie and Miles Davis, and Sonny Stitt, and, of course, the great Charlie Parker. So, bebop, that's how it got its name. And we started off the set with one of my absolute favorite bebop songs, Groovin' High. And it comes off the Savoy Jazz album of the same name by the great Dizzy Gillespie. There's a lot of great hits on that album from... uh, Groovin' High to Salt Peanuts, Bird of Paradise, which was All the Things You Are, Um, Things to Come, Ray's Idea, all these great songs are on that album. That is like the best bebop primer album you could ever listen to is Groovin' High by the great Dizzy Gillespie, so... It's like a yellow and black cover. It's fantastic. So but if you're worried about that and you're trying to write things down, don't worry about it. We've got all that information logged on our website. And it's a lot easier to navigate and find that information now. All you gotta do is go to Dr. Jazz Podcast, D-R-J-A-Z-Z podcast, no spaces, dot wordpress dot com and you can get all your information and album artwork right there. All right. Enough talking for me. Let's get back to another set of great bebop. Celebrating 100 Minutes for Bird, the centennial of Charlie Parker, August 29th,
4: 2020. (laughs) ¶¶
0: tune called Quasimodo and that was from the Chronological Classics 1947, which featured the great Charlie Parker with Max Roach, Miles Davis, Duke Jordan, Tommy Potter, and J.J. Johnson. Before that, we heard Marmaduke uh, from the Chronological Classics, Charlie Parker 1947 to 1949, uh, which featured Bird with Machito, Miles Davis, Kenny Dorham, Max Roach, Buddy Rich, Hank Jones, John Lewis, and the great Ray Brown. Before that, we heard one of the saddest tracks in Loverman. And um, that comes from the album. Let's see here. Charlie Parker, 1945 to 1947. And the reason I say that that's one of the saddest tracks ever recorded is because, as I stated before, you know, Charlie Parker was um, a victim of a car accident, which left him in a, like, a methadone kind of sort of treatment. And he got hooked on that. It's I guess you could call it kind of the first prescription uh, drug thing, you know, because it was there were clinics with for methadone for you know people who had accidents and stuff, and it led to an addiction to heroin. And um, you know, it, sadly, you know, he was on the road with. Um, Dizzy Gillespie, who we heard in the first track that started off the set, Coco, um, from the the same chronological classics album, 1945 to 1947. And, you know, Dizzy and Bird, they were one of those uh, musical pairs that truly complemented each other so very well. And for the most part, they got along very well, too, personally. Um... Charlie Parker, you know, was, got so manic and excited over things. There was one time where Dizzy Gillespie said that he got so excited, he kissed me right on my mouth, man. (laughs) You know, Um, because Bird had, he was a fan of dramatic flair, to say the least. And, um, but Bird in turn said, you know, Diz is the other half of my musical heartbeat. And I mean... That's strong words coming from a genius like Charlie Parker. So that's something that, that Diz held very dear to himself. That Charlie Parker called him the other half of his musical heartbeat. <sighs> which is even tougher because they went out to California... Which I'm getting back around to this story. So of the Lover Man recording. And they went out to California and then they were trying to and they dealt with all sorts of things too so they were really close Um, I mean there was somebody who tried to like you know bust a bottle over Dizzy's head when he went to the bathroom to the toilet and uh, Charlie Parker walks in and just you know takes one of these you know racist people and and turns the situation on its ear because he's just like hey that's my friend you cur (laughs) <laughs> and Diz said, This is the very first time I've heard a guy call another man a cur. <laughs> but that's the way that um, Charlie Parker was. He was quite versed not only in musical vocabulary, but literary vocabulary as well. Um, and the thing about it is, if they went out to California to try to promote know bebop it was very much an east coast thing and they were trying to make stops all along the way and they got all the way out to california and there was a point in time where they you know it was time to go back home <clears throat> time to go back to new york you know to minton's playhouse and you know places like that to play and bird was so strung out that he wound up selling his like plane ticket and he said, no, I'm just going to stay out here. So he tried to, eventually he tried to take the the horse by the reins and tried to kick heroin uh, by drinking too much. He wanted the same effect of numbing the pain from his broken and cracked ribs and things like that. And so he tried to find that same numbing agent in alcohol so he would sit there and try to drink like an entire bottle of whiskey and brown liquor and things like this and he was so drunk out of his mind that he really didn't need to be at a recording session and he brought the liquor with him to the recording session and he just kept drinking and drinking and drinking well they needed to record another side and I believe it was Babs Gonzalez that talks about this and he said that um, he had no business recording. he said but the, the recording the record producer basically was holding Charlie Parker up, you know by his like waist. He was like holding him up so that he could still play and he was holding him up to the microphone. So what you literally hear is the drunk noodling ramblings. Of a jazz genius. Over a ballad like Loverman. And. Even. Drunk out of his mind. There's still. Heartfelt emotion. There's still. Like. Classic bebop lines that. Some people couldn't do 100% sober. And I think that that's a testament. To Charlie Parker that even. Even. Though he shouldn't have been recording that track of Loverman. As heartbreaking as that was. It still is better than on his worst day. Than a lot of cats on their best day. And there's a lesson in there. So needless to say. Bird hung around California. While Diz went back to New York with everybody else in the band. Uh, But. Bird eventually made his way back. Uh, He found a new, you know, hookup named Moose the Mooch. And uh, he actually, because he stayed out in California dealing with these issues, he found a way to get Bebop to, you know, become very acceptable out there and inspired a younger generation of players as well. So... Uh, but he got b- back to the point of being functional as a player and a musician. He got back to New York. He got a new group together. And he got signed to Verve Records. And he started making some of his most famous, famous tracks and compositions. And that's what we're going to hear in this next set. So don't go anywhere. You are listening to 100 Minutes for Bird, a celebration of the centennial of Charlie Parker. On August 29th, 2020, Charlie Parker turns 100. Thank you for listening. Charlie Parker mm. with confirmation that comes off of his verve release now's the time before that we heard chi chi uh, which is a little bit of a deep track <laughs> um but there and it comes from the same album now's the time uh, there's a little bit of a backstory for me, personally, to Chi-Chi. So, as I'd mentioned previously, um, I'm very much a Charlie Parker disciple. And uh, I can remember the very first time I heard Charlie Parker, I'd read a, I'd actually, um, I'd seen the name in a bunch of my like jazz history books. And, you know, at, at this point in time in my development, when I was a young kid, I'm talking like eighth grade, Maybe ninth, you know, no, nah, no, it was eighth grade. Eighth grade. Uh, my school library had these um, Black A- uh, Americans of Achievement series, you know, by Coretta Scott King, Dr. King's wife, and um, there was they only had four books there, and I'd already checked out, and I was very much immersed in the big band era at this point, you know. Um, Benny Goodman, Artie Shaw, Glenn Miller, Harry James, Duke Ellington, Count Basie, Louis Armstrong, that sort of thing, right? And I'd already read the book, Duke Ellington, and somebody had checked out the Count Basie book, believe it or not. (laughs) So I'm like, hey, there you go. (laughs) So I saw uh, the other two books, which was Dizzy Gillespie and Charlie Parker. Now, being a saxophone player... I immediately gravitated towards Charlie Parker, right? So, there he was standing there with the alto. It was the exact same kind of saxophone that I played. It wasn't a tenor or a soprano. So, I was like, well, yeah, I'll check this out. And I remember that, you know, my, my mom needed something at Walmart or something. And this is back in the day when Walmarts were much smaller and, you know, <laughs> they had a little bit more of a diverse CD collection, you know. And anyway, um you know, vintage 19, you know, 92, something like that. And anyway, so my very first, I, I picked up for like seven bucks a Charlie Parker CD. And it was like Charlie Parker gold collection. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they had like a cardboard like insert and that was it, you know, very cheaply made. I still had the CD by the way. But, um what was really interesting is that I just remember and, and keep in mind that all the tunes that I liked from the big band era were, were so easier and, and easy and melodic and things like that, that I just, you know, popped them in the CD player. When I got home, took out my horn and I started playing, you know, things like in the mood by ear, you know what I mean? Or sing, sing, sing or whatever. So I put on this Charlie Parker CD And the very first track is a night Tunisia. (laughs) It's like okay. So I'm thinking, well this is pretty boring. (laughs) And then it gets to tracks like Coco, you know, that we heard before. And that was a lot harder to figure out. and at first it it sounded like gobbledygook but the more I listened to it you know and don't get me wrong I'm not talking about like the next listen of the CD I'm like oh I got it you know I hear what he's doing it was very harmonically advanced for my ears at the time there's a big difference between Coco and Pennsylvania 65000 just putting it out there okay uh, between confirmation and Little Brown Jug, so there's yeah, there's a big difference. Um, so, but uh, I, like I said, I, I saw this book, you know, Charlie Parker, and I'm like, well, might as well see what this guy's all about. So I remember it, it was like a Friday night, and I stayed up late because I didn't have school the next day, and I remember reading the entire book, just like page after page after page after page after page. And I was just enamored with the story of Charlie Parker. Well, then I made it my mission to try and figure out more about his playing and where he's coming from, et cetera. And so I did so. And I started asking questions, <laughs> you know, to um, one of my friend's dads who is a studio musician. And he's like, oh, you need an omnibook." I'm like, a what, what, a what? a what book? and um so what had happened was as I I went to my local music store and you know back then there was no computers to you know look up pdfs and things like that so I had to make an order for the Charlie Parker Omnibook, and it had all of Bird's solos and a lot of the melodies from these kind of tunes and that's what i did and I, I learned about the harmonics of improvisation through charlie parker how to phrase in that kansas city get kansas city bebop kind of style and then getting all the way back around to chi chi when i first started college uh, i went to a very small college when i first started for the first three years And the guy who was in charge of the jazz program was like a mad scientist kind of um, personality. And he was this crazy trombone player that looked like De Niro and Jackie Brown. He just had the thick mustache, you know what I mean? Crazy as all hell. And long story short, he was a J.J. Johnson slash Parker disciple as well, which is one of the things that really led me to kind of go to this school to study with him so he had a lead sheet of Chi Chi that we heard in this set and he had it in multiple keys so he would love he was also you know the leader of the jazz combos as well as the big band and I was in both and we sat there and he would love to play Chi Chi you know as like a, a warm-up blues so we we'd play Chi Chi in F you know, And we'd also play it in Concert A-flat, which is the the key that Bird recorded it. And th- there was a lot of talking about Charlie Parker and a, a lot of admiration, you know what I mean? And adoration <laughs> for Charlie Parker uh, from Culver and myself. So, yep, that was one of our, our bonding moments. And to this day, Chi-Chi is a, a very special tune for me personally. And I just wanted to share... That tune and that story with all of y'all. So there you go. Uh, before that, we heard "Blues for Alice," and "Blues for Alice" comes from the record Sh- Swedish Swedish Schnapps. <laughs> Obviously, a tongue twister. Um, it's oh my God, one of the greatest examples of how Charlie Parker revolutionized the twelve-bar blues. You know, here's the thing, and I'm going to nerd out for a second, so just hang with me. You know, most blues tunes are made up of three chords. One, four, and five. That's it. It's like a lot of rock, you know what I mean? If you know a one chord, a four chord, and a five chord, you're golden for like 500 tunes. And even in older blues songs, the one, the four, and the five are the, the three predominant chords. That's it, you know what I mean? And it keeps, you know, bobbing and weaving back and forth between these three chords. Well, jazz took that 12-bar format, and they stuck like a little 2-5 in there as a turnaround to go back to, you know, like the top. But it's still predominantly 1-4-5. Charlie Parker took that model of the 12-bar blues, and instead of making it all dominant sevenths, ths etc., he really revolutionized the whole sound to make it highly more chromatic more colorful more adventurous for improvisers and he would change dominant sevens to major sevens and he would insert two five substitutions that theoretically all work out to still keep the foundations of that one four five model of the blues but he did it with in like Technicolor as far as chord changes go and I mean we're talking about exploding the chord changes from you know um, like one four and five three mere, mere chords to let's see one two three four five six seven I mean you you blast past that many in just the first three bars and he would do minor seven flat five to dominant seven flat nine chords and then he'd have minor 7 to dominant 7 chords that lead into all these sequences and it's he'd have tritone substitutions and that, that could be used and it really made it to where improvisers bebop improvisers could in fact present all these chromatic tones within the chord structures of a of a blues and it became parker changes is what it became and this also was the very first incremental step in jazz to making substitute changes for something very familiar that led the great John Coltrane into making what he called his giant steps changes. And so those Coltrane cycles would become prevalent, you know, later on in the history of jazz. But Parker was the first to really do that on a large technicolor scale harmonically speaking and blues for alice is a perfect example of that and um, as i said before it comes from the album swedish schnapps so it's a fantastic album features red rodney kenny Dorham, miles davis all on that album highly suggested uh if you're not already hip with that album and if you are go and revisit it because it's really fantastic and then we opened up the set with Now's the Time from the album. Now's the Time. And this is truly one of the most melodic solos of all of Charlie Parker's canon. Of recorded solos. This is the one that most students learn first. Because it is so melodic rip you know it's just uh, it's so bluesy it's melodic it's scalar it's still got a lot of those little pockets of bebop, bebophelfer leather speed and it's just it's glorious it really is um yeah it, it it's the uh there you go. It, it's the Ina Klein and not music of the Charlie Parker canon. I mean, it's perfect in every way. So, <clears throat> like I said, all these selections come from the Verve label, and we really hope that you dug that. Uh, we got more music coming at you. We got one, two, three more sets. So do not go anywhere. You are listening to 100 minutes for Bird on celebrating Charlie Parker's centennial on August 29th. Twenty twenty, and we are celebrating that here at the Doctor Jazz Podcast. Remember, you can find the Doctor Jazz Podcast wherever you find your podcasts: Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher. Um, We're also got all this information on our website, Doctor Jazz Podcast, d r j a double z podcast dot wordpress dot com, and please check it out because it has been revamped and easier to navigate. Uh, and you can find us and follow us on Twitter at NdhJazz. We'd love to hear from you. Don't f- and please, by all means, subscribe. Tell your friends. Write a review. Like. Send us an email. Whatever. We will get back to you. Promise. So, that being said, all PSAs out of the way. Let's get back to another great set of bebop. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Charlie Parker with a killer Latin record. It, it That's a tune. Mongo Mangue is one of my favorites. And, and it's just it's so groovy. It's got that, that Afro-Cuban beat, man. And, and he's just bebopping all over it. And it it comes from a stupendous album uh, called Charlie Parker, South of the Border. And it's on Verve, uh, thanks to Norman Grant's. <clears throat> There's the Afro-Cuban jazz suite by Chico O'Farrell on that album. He also does so many other great songs, like Tico Tico, La Cucaracha, La La Estrellita, Uh, and that's also the album that My Little Suede Shoes is on, which is a great Charlie Parker, you know, original composition, by the way. Um, This, no doubt, is a a musical response to the great Dizzy Gillespie because Dizzy, you know, his partner in crime, uh, his other half of his musical heartbeat was interested in doing very different things. Of course, they were both pioneers of bebop, but Diz was very, very, very interested in bringing bebop to the forefront. So, for instance, it was Dizzy Gillespie's look, first of all, with the goatee and the sole patch and the dark rim glasses and the beret that f- fashion wise um, drew a lot of young kids black and white to start dressing that way and they called them eventually beatniks so there you have it um, Dizzy Gillespie also was a lot more of a stage showman and a comedian, and he would rap with the audience and make jokes and things like that. Dizzy Gillespie was famous for saying, like, thank you very much, we now like to take this opportunity to introduce the band. And then, where most band leaders would say that, and then they'd go through each person in the band, he would automatically turn away from the mic and start shaking hands, and then, like, oh, have you met (laughs) so-and-so? To where nobody in the audience could hear it, and it was funny, because it's like, members of the band would just be introducing (laughs) each other. So this kind of, like, stage conversation Comedy routines, things like that, was very much in Dizzy's, you know, personality. But then musically, he could be razor sharp, and he was very, very demanding. Um, Dizzy was also an ultimate teacher. He wasn't one of these uh, personalities. It's like, well, if you can't get it, you know, you're, you'll never learn how to play bebop. He's like, no, 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 no. Let me show you how to flat fifth works. You know, what I mean? <laughs> this is a tritone substitution, and so he would start teaching. He was the ultimate teacher. Uh, Dizzy was also interested in bringing the idea of big bands and bebop together. So Dizzy had his own big band with five trumpets, you know, a bunch of trombones, a bunch of saxophones, a full rhythm section. And they would do bebop music, but in a big band format because there was a lot of critics, and a lot of listeners that just felt like bebop was strictly for combos it could never be something that was for big bands and he wanted to set out to prove everybody wrong and he did because he had some killer big bands with cats like phil woods in the in the saxophone section cats like uh, quincy jones and lee morgan in the trumpet section you know um cats like melba liston And Frank Rehack in the trombone section. And of course, how could we forget his rhythm section? That was the modern jazz quartet. That's who wound up becoming the modern jazz quartet. (laughs) There was Milt Jackson. There was like John Lewis and a whole bunch. You know what I mean? so Dizzy knew what he was doing. But all the way back around a point, Dizzy was also very, very, very interested and enamored with the rhythms of Cuba and that kind of Cuban you know uh, sensibility of rhythm with with the the congas and that kind of percussion those kind of rhythms those kind of songs those kind of harmonies he was very interested in fusing Cuban music with bebop and, you know, it was kind of this, this first, like, Afro-Latin combination that some people call Cubop, you know. He, he even had a, a stream of songs called, like, Cubana B, Cubana Bop, etc. Uh, there was also Manteca, you know, which was hugely important. And he, he really did. He started writing a bunch of things like Manteca, but he also did things like Quan Alma. You know, he brought over Chano Pozo, the great um, Congero, you know, over from Cuba. He was also very responsible for bringing over Paquito de Rivera, uh, Arturo Sandoval, and Irakere, with um, Chucho Valdez, you know what I mean? And, and Bibo Valdez and, you know, that whole thing, right? He, he was even welcomed uh, by the Castro Administration, which was very rare for an American to be to do that, uh, to come into Cuba and to perform and, and do all these things. So there was a real love for Cuban uh, music and Cuban people from Diz, and he very, very, very early on in the 1950s would, um, you know, he 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 was bringing that fusion of bebop and Afro-Cuban. Uh, rhythms together, you know, and he, he put out a bunch of records, like Afro, that was a good one, uh, if you even listen to the Dizzy Gillespie Orchestra at Newport, there's killer versions of like Manteca and stuff like that on there as well, so I highly suggest that, but Charlie Parker was not part of that project so it's no doubt, as I stated earlier, that it was uh, a musical answer to Diz as if to say, well, I can do that too. I can bebop over Afro-Cuban rhythms. So he came out with Charlie Parker South of the Border, which is all a fantastic record. And we're all the winner for that because we get all this great music. Before that, we heard Four Brothers. And if you're confused, yes, it's still the Woody Herman tune, Four Brothers. In fact, it's Charlie Parker as guest soloist with... The Woody Herman Orchestra. It's uh, an album called Bird with the Herd. <laughs> you know, the Thundering Herd is what Woody Herman's band was known as. And it was this meeting in Kansas City at all places, uh, 1951. And what's really interesting and attracted me to this this piece is that it was four brothers, And Four Brothers, of course, is like Stan Getz and like Zoot Sims and Al Cohn and like Serge Chaloff, I believe. And they're all playing this, quote, bebop melody because they were bringing that kind of early bebop sensibility into the big band era. But with four tenors, right? Hence the Four Brothers. Um, And what it was is... It's not like Woodchopper's Ball. It's not like Blue Flame. It's not like any of those other Woody Herman tunes. Um, It's the first one that's truly bebop. See, there you go. It's on a monoponetic. So you got this, and then they finally get a chance to have Charlie Barker solo on top and it's like a lightning rod to the song here's this bebop inspired tune with one of the pioneers if not the king of bebop phrasing even more so it's a saxophone feature naturally and then you have bird fluttering his wings all above this and it's it's dynamic the sound isn't that great but you can hear the ideas And it truly is dynamic, and I I just I love that track, and once again, uh, we're celebrating Bird, so I just wanted to share that. And then we started off the set with two fantastic tunes uh, from the Charlie Parker with Strings uh, on the Verve label. We heard If I Should Lose You, and then we started off the set with the Gershwin classic, They Can't Take That Away From Me, and... Oh my God, it's just, it's incredible because it, this is the very first time that it was like a jazz musician with a string orchestra kind of backup. You know, that was his uh, supporting cast, if you will. And strangely enough, um, it was not Norman Grants who really came to Charlie Parker about this idea. It was Charlie Parker's idea. This was his brainchild. This was his musical baby. And he always had this desire and this dream to play in front of strings. And he did it and it became like one of his best-selling albums. And on top of that, it kind of set the the gravel, the road, the the blueprint if you will for so many of these jazz with strings projects like clifford brown with strings dizzy gillespie with his operatic strings you know um so many of those wonderful takes that we have and in fact if you want more of that flavor like what we started off the set with there i've done an entire podcast on jazz with strings so go and check that out and knock yourself out because it's all great uh, but yeah, uh, there's something deeper there, though, too, because what I wanted to mention here at this break was, you know, Charlie Barker, he was one of those minds that was ever-expanding. He was never really narrow-minded. He, Even though he was this African-American who is a jazz musical pioneer, he had deep respect, love, admiration great classical music like Igor Stravinsky and Varese and you know all, all these great composers Messian, and he he really wanted to be taken as seriously with his music a- as they were and unfortunately that never happened you know to that extent um but here we are, and th- there's a faction of us who, who truly do love Bird, uh, and put him in the same regard as Stravinsky. Cause I do. You may not, but I do. You know. Uh, of course, I'm very biased. But th- th- there's a story that goes along with this as well. That Charlie Parker, when he was out in California, you know, that's when Igor Stravinsky was living out in california and he found where stravinsky lived and stravinsky had this gate you know um surrounding his property and his house and charlie parker was known to have um went to the gate of stravinsky and he was like trying to call out his name you know or trying to get his attention and Stravinsky comes out with his cigarette and his smoking robe and everything. And he looks at this, you know, what looks to be like a homeless black man. Because, you know, Bird was always disheveled, kind of looking, you know, and um, on his own time. And he, he shut the door. He he wouldn't give Charlie Parker a second thought. So, and I guess what, you know, uh, that scene is, is based on some truth. Um from the movie, which I highly recommend, Bird, directed by Clint Eastwood, who is a big jazz supporter as well, um, yeah, it, and it stars Boris um, Whitaker as Charlie Parker, so if you get a chance to watch that movie, I highly, highly recommend it, uh, it's pretty true to, not everything is true, but, you know, uh, as Chan Parker Charlie Parker's, you know, widow uh said the idea that Stravinsky and Bird did not work together is one of favorite Bird's favorite words. It truly is a travesty. So uh but yeah, man, and taking it full s- circle, right? Stravinsky would eventually write the Ebony Concerto with none other than the Woody Herman Orchestra. So go figure. <laughs> Uh, but that's a different discussion for a different day so alright uh, let's get to another great set of music this time we're going to go back to some straight ahead bebop for you. we got four really great ones don't go anywhere you are listening to 100 minutes for bird 100 musical minutes of Charlie Parker celebrating his 100th birthday on August 29th 2020 don't go anywhere
4: Thank you. Peanuts, So peanuts, salt peanuts, salt peanuts, salt peanuts, peanuts, salt peanuts, peanuts, peanuts,
0: Salt peanuts. <laughs> uh, salt peanuts. One of my absolute favorites and I and I pushed it toward the end. I could have put it earlier, but I just it, I pushed it towards the end because I just absolutely love that song. It's the song that even kids um, gravitate towards in the bebop idiom. It, it's just it's a magical song. Kids love it, grown-ups love it, everybody loves it. And in fact, the the rumor is is that Dizzy always used to love to put salt peanuts into the glass Coke bottles, you know, when he had a, a, a Coca-Cola. He'd take a swig or two of the Coca-Cola and then he'd put in some salt peanuts and then you kind of get this salty Coca-Cola flavored peanut combination. I've tried it before. It's not bad. It's not for everybody, but he loved it, so <clears throat> salt peanuts. And that comes from the Dizzy Gillespie Savoy Jazz album, Groovin' High, which we alluded to earlier. Uh, it's one of the great songs from that album. So, uh, Before that, we heard Crazology, which is a tune uh, that was written by, I believe, Bud Powell and, um, and Charlie Parker. It was also known under the title of Little Benny, but uh, most of the real books, etc., lead sheets have it listed as Crazology. And it it truly is one of those great things that's um, a take of what the bebop players would do. They would take uh, traditional tunes that everybody knew how to blow over, you know what I mean? Like uh, familiar songs like I Got Rhythm, and they would put different bebop-oriented melodies to make that the melody instead of I Got Rhythm... Instead of doing like that, they'd take it even faster, and they go. So, uh, yeah, that's just one of those those great tunes, and that comes from the chronological classics album of Charlie Parker, 1947. Um, yeah, great, great, great stuff. But before that, we heard "Embraceable You," which is one of the most um, gorgeous, gorgeous uh, uh, takes that Charlie Parker did. And it, man, it's just, it's something special because it truly is this, he doesn't actually play the melody. That's what I think is what's really integral to this. It's not like he's coming out, you know like he does with the Charlie Parker with Strings album you know and really states the melody elegantly he's not coming out saying embrace me my sweet embraceable you he comes out <laughs> and he he's just improvising melodically beautifully but he's really going to the limits of of the melody to where it's not really recognizable to most listeners and that's okay it's a different kind of improvising and we've seen some improvisers take this method and and, and go with it in that exact recipe, in that exact same format two that come to mind right off the bat are um, cats like Lee Konitz he was famous for for this, especially in like his albums like Motion, and he would play a standard, like what Bird just did with Embraceable You, but y- you wouldn't hear it. You know, what I mean, it'd just be his uh, improvising over the changes of it, and that's okay. Um, John Coltrane is another way, uh, is another example that comes to mind. You think of the album Giant Steps, and you take a tune like countdown and he, he didn't play the melody to the very end. He would just start off like, like a, a, a bullet out of the gun. He just like, bam, you know, just starting improvising. And then you wouldn't hear the melody till the very last chorus before the tune wrapped up. So yeah, Charlie Parker, man, just absolute killer stuff. And he was doing that. And, I don't know. It's just, it's beautiful, and I wanted to share it with you. And then we opened up the set with Donna Lee, and Donna Lee comes from the album The Immortal Charlie Parker on the Savoy Jazz label as well. It's a black and yellow cover, and um, man. And Donna Lee actually is another example of that sort of thing that I was talking about before with Crazology. They would take a familiar tune, with familiar changes, and then they put a new melody, a bebop melody, on top of it. <clears throat> well, Donna Lee is actually the same changes as the uh, jazz standard "Back Home Again in Indiana," and they would <laughs> they took that and um, instead of going. Instead of that, it's And yeah, it's just it, it it's <laughs> it's just the way the bee thought, you know what I'm saying? Um Yeah. So now, I'd also wanna, I also want—I mentioned earlier that I was going to talk about this a little bit before <clears throat> or later in the podcast, which we've come to that point. But you know, Charlie Parker—one of the things that uh, is synonymous with his, the rise and fall of Charlie Parker and his career in music—is the use of heroin, and he—it was—it was truly one of his demises, and—and and, and it. There was plenty of times where he would try to substitute that same feeling. Um, there were other times where he would try suicide. All these things. But still, musically speaking, the, the fact that he did these things like heroin made other people think. And because his music was so otherworldly, it made so many other up-and-coming jazz musicians feel as if they needed to take heroin as well in order to sound like charlie parker and so from trumpet players to piano players to other saxophone players especially saxophone players you could look up a list and you would be shocked to find uh names that you wouldn't even have thought would be stars that were hooked on heroin and they were and they they readily admit that it was foolish or that it was the hardest thing that they've ever had to do in order to kick that habit. But everybody from Jackie McLean to Art Pepper to Jerry Mulligan to Stan Getz to Miles Davis, they've all done heroin. And so many of them um, did it because they wanted to play bebop. And they thought the only way to do that was to the only way to play like bird is to live like bird and that's a huge mistake and it was up to them to stand on the shoulders of Charlie Parker and continue the music to keep it flowing I mean it was just it was a readily available thing at that time and sadly there was so there's so much music that is missed Due to the dependency on this, this drug. You know, it, it, it you think about all the, the music that Fats Navarro would have made had he not been strung out. Or, you know, how much more music would we have from Charlie Barker if that didn't happen? So, you got to think of these things. But I also wanted to take this moment... Uh, to mention, you know, there's a lot of great stuff uh, of, of Charlie Parker out there already. There's more things coming for his centennial. There's a great, uh, through Hal Leonard, there's a great uh, book of complete scores of Charlie Parker. Y- you could equate this to, if, you were a, if you're if you a fan of music, that the Beatles had like a complete scores to all of their songs uh, and like a hardback edition. Well, this is similar to that, but it's for Charlie Parker. And it's all the piano voicings, the bass lines, the trumpet uh, harmonies, the trumpet solos, the saxophone uh, solos, everything is, is there for his complete recordings. And uh, it's about 60 bucks, So it's not too expensive. We're not talking like $200 for the set, you know what I mean? So it's under $100. And that's coming out in September. Um but as far as old and red- older things that are readily available you know Gary Giddens book uh, I mentioned it earlier Celebrating Bird by Gary Giddens um, that's a great book uh, Stanley Crouch I know say what you will about Stanley Crouch but uh, Kansas City Lightning that, that's a that's a great book about Charlie Parker as well um, yeah the, the Clint Eastwood film Bird Starring um, Forrest Whitaker that I mentioned before. That's a great movie to check out if you're interested in learning more about Charlie Parker. Um, yeah, and I mean, and, and just more than anything, the music, right? So uh, there's a great documentary, as I said, um, called Celebrating Bird based on the book of Gary Giddens. If you want the uh, the video version, so to speak, you know, that's that's really good too. Uh, if you look on YouTube, there is a BBC documentary through Britain that on the life and times of Charlie Parker that's really interesting as well. So, and then of course you know all of that comes with interviews fr- uh, with the great Dizzy Gillespie and Leonard Feather and you know cats that knew Bird very well his 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 wife Chan Parker, um, but yeah you know Charlie Parker unfortunately. Uh, Besides his own demons, he he was living with a lot of other problems as well. Like, they lost a child. Um, You know, him and Chan lost a child um, to an early death. And that really, really tore him apart. Um, He was kind of like this Jekyll and Hyde person. He was at home, he was like a family, typical family man. You know, he wanted to spend time with the kids, he wanted to barbecue, you know. He was very neighborly. And then, you know, at nighttime, he would throw on his, you know, his saxophone over his back. And then he'd go out and he'd try to cop heroin and play bebop at these clubs because he was a musical genius who was pioneering this brand new harmonically advanced type of jazz. Go figure. I mean, that's truly like a Jekyll and Hyde sort of thing but it is what it is and i mean that's the that's one of the great stories because it's the rise and fall you know the the triumphs and all of the tribulations all in one great charlie parker so um we got one more set for you so um it's a doozy it's got tons of great stuff uh, it also has some g- great pairings in this, too. I'm just looking ahead. So, uh, once again, thank you for listening. Um, don't forget to check out the website, Dr Jazz Podcast com. It's been revamped, so check it out and let us know what you think. Also, subscribe through Apple Music, Writer review. That would be helpful. Um, you can also find us in SoundCloud, Stitcher, or wherever you find your podcasts. And if you want to follow us on Twitter, love to have you follow us. At N D H Jazz. Now let's get back to our last set, celebrating 100 minutes for Bird, Charlie Parker at 100, August 29th, 2020. Hit it, Bird.
6: Here they are. Hello, this girl. is Charlie Parker and the famous Dizzy Gillespie. Now, fellas, uh, Leonard says I'm supposed to be the toastmaster, the sort of the Georgie Jestsle jazz. So, Charlie, I want to award you now. Uh, the Downbeat Award for the best alto sax man of 1951. Thank Congratulations you, to you. Thank you. And, uh, Diz, this is to you from Downbeat for being one of the top trumpet men of all time. Congratulations, Diz. I mean Dizzy. I got a little informal you. in. Uh, you boys got anything more to say? Well, Earl, they say music speaks louder than words, so we'd rather voice our opinion that way. If you don't uh, mind. I think that'd be all right with everybody if you really want to do it. Good. Okay, now while you fellas are getting set up there... I better tell the public that uh, we're going to have some really torrid tempo with Charlie Parker, the alto sax, and uh Diz at the uh, trumpet and Dick Hyman's at the piano. They're going to play what is it? I think it's Hot House. Hot House. Hot House. Okay, fellas, let's go.
7: i right.
0: We started off that set with Hothouse, which is a Tad Dameron composition, and like I would mentioned before, it's another one of those bebop songs that takes the changes from a standard. So Tad Dameron wrote that melody over the changes to Cole Porter's What Is This Thing Called Love, and it actually comes from a TV broadcast. It's the only film that survived... uh, that has been found of Bird and Diz playing together, and it came from a 1950s TV show where they were being presented an award, and it's a killer to watch. You should totally YouTube it. Um, After that, we heard How High the Moon from the Jazz at the Philharmonic, um, which, oh my God, it features Flip Phillips, Ella Fitzgerald, Lester Young with charlie parker and buddy rich and yeah it's just it's killer so uh, a real nice jam session there and on one of the tunes that was famous in the bebop world as well how high the moon which also became better known as ornithology it's one of those tunes as well uh, after that, we heard Everybody, K.C. Blues, no doubt for Kansas City Blues, and, and it came from the so album Charlie Parker, Swedish Schnapps, again, again uh, on we'll Verve Records, uh, the Michael Great Quintet sessions from 1949 and 1951, G-O and then we ended with end, Parker's God, Mood, which is uh, a, a very chilling intro with this like clarion please. call from Bird's saxophone and then it's just a slow blues and that's actually what's playing behind me now is uh king pleasure's vocalese version he took charlie parker's solo and he put words to it and they're haunting and they're beautiful so i just thought it was a great ending here for this um yeah again thank you so much for listening and celebrating charlie parker centennial with me uh it, it means so much, and his music means so much. So, Charlie Parker was the Mozart of this country. And like a comet, he was gone too soon. Because when he died, he was only 34 years old. Even though the coroner thought he was 65. So, ah, Come with me God bless. You want, you go now, I do want to say thank you so very much for listening. Thank you for celebrating... 100 minutes of bird with us um yeah and just listen to some more charlie parker you know what i mean just it doesn't have to be his centennial or any other given time in the year you should always listen to some charlie parker it's super important and never forget the musical con- contributions that he made so um again Remember, you can find the Dr. Jazz podcast where you find all your podcasts. Go to the website drjazzpodcast.wordpress.com. Go on Twitter, follow us there too at NDHJazz. Uh, thank you again so much for listening. We do love all y'all madly. Uh, and until I next time,
5: blue, ashes to
0: ashes, sorrow. dust to dust. Know what to y'all be good do. now.
5: Where will because I in be jazz, tomorrow? We trust. Going to Kansas City, wanna go to No, you can't make it with me. Going to Kansas City, sorry that I can't take you. When you see me coming, raise your window high. When you see me leave me baby, hang your head and cry. I'm afraid there's nothing in Miss Creamy's dreamy town. A honky-tonky monkey wouldn't do. She'd only bring herself down. So long, everybody. The time has come, and I must leave you. So if I don't ever see your smiling face again, make a promise to remember, like a Christmas day in December, that I told you all through thick and thin. On up until the end, Parker's been your friend. Don't hang your head when you see, when you see those six pretty horses pulling me. Put a $20 silver piece on my watch chain, look at the smile on my face Sing me a song to let the world know I'm free Say, don't you cry for me, cause I'm going to Kansas City